Hello, everybody. Today, I am talking with a special guest, Marsha Montenegro, because she is an expert in the history and use of the Enneagram. I'm going to ask her questions about what the Enneagram is, how it came to be, and why it got into the church. We're also going to answer whether Christians should be using this as a tool for sanctification. Before that, we get to hear about how God saved her from a life in the new age. Without further ado, here is our conversation. I hope you are sharpened by it. All right. Welcome, Marsha. Thank you so much for joining me today. So today. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, so Marsha is a former new ager and was a practicing astrologer, astrology teacher, but now is adopted by God as a daughter through Jesus Christ. And that's the best title really that, (laughs) that we can have. So on, on your website, which you're going to talk about in a little bit, um, or you'll give some information about it's called Christian answers to or Christian answers to the new age is for the correct? new age for the new age. Mm-hmm. I always change that from t- I know a lot of people. Do. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> so from your bio, it looks like you grew up with an agnostic father, nominally Christian mother. You had an idea about, uh, you became serious about religion, but you thought that being good would please God. Then you became a little disillusioned by that. <laughs> Um, you're intrigued that some people's faith, faith seem more experiential than yours. And I think that kind of led you down more of this new age path. Is that, am I saying that right so far? Yeah, I was very interested in, in things that, that people didn't talk about. I was interested in the unknown right? and, and, and other belief systems. Right. I just, I just was it's kind of like I wanted to know the unfamiliar. I was bored with the familiar. That's probably the best way to put it. Right. And so then it looks like you really got in deep to a lot of spirit or Eastern practices, um, out of body experiences, some paranormal experiences in college. And then you became an astrologist in Georgia and became the president of the Metro Atlanta Astrological Society in 1989. Uh, you would go into what it says, altered states of consciousness while doing astrology. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, some questions started to, to develop in your mind, though, uh, regarding what happens before death and reincarnation. You know, what is this gap that that happens before you are you you believed you would be reincarnated? Um, who chose your next life for you? Was it you? Is it somebody else? And you were really trying to grasp the initial peace you had experienced when, with like your former, your first meditations, you said mm-hmm. you experienced this peace and then it kind of waned a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you had some like frightening experiences. You said kind of near the end of, of your new age practice, you, ha- you spoke of a woman standing like over your bed, telling you she was, oh, yes. she, was sitting at the bottom. she was sitting at the bottom of my bed. Yes. Yeah, that was, I had had some frightening experiences early, much earlier, like even in the late seventies. But so I had kind of bookends of frightening experiences at the beginning and at the end, but this was certainly one of, one of the, maybe the most frightening. And it really, and it obviously really disturbed you and didn't give you answers to these questions, obviously that you were asking in your mind. I, yes, but I never thought of going outside of what I was in to find them. Okay. I was, I was, you know, I figured I would eventually get answers if I kept on the spiritual path. Okay. 
So then at that point, what's your, what's the story of how God sought and saved you, how he pulled you out of that? Yes. Well, after all of that, which was a, a, a long time that I was involved in those things. Uh, and I had a, a hostility towards what I thought was Christianity. <clears throat> so I wasn't interested in, in anything like that. So I was very surprised when I started getting this, uh, what I call a compulsion to go to a church. And I didn't understand. I didn't understand it. And I didn't want to go to a church. So I it was like very bizarre. It was like this external thing. To, and I, and I just, I was trying to figure it out and I couldn't figure it out and it wouldn't go away. Um, and it started in the spring and then it continued through the summer. And at the end of the summer, I actually went to an astrological conference in Eugene, Oregon. It was sponsored by the man who edited a new age um, astrological magazine I wrote for. And I had been writing for at that point for almost three years. And um, so I was there at the conference and, you know, talking to people into the new age, into astrology, into, into uh, uh, out in that area of the country in Oregon, when they're into like what's Wicca or witchcraft, they often see, at least at that time, they, it's really neo-paganism, but they, they call it like medicine. Oh, okay. like, uh, like, you know, like the old term for the witch doctor was like the medicine man. So they were kind of into shamanistic Native American witchcraft kind of stuff. That's apparently yeah. very big in that part of the country. And, and so I was around people into that. And there were some strange things that happened there. I'm not going to go into because it, it would really take up too much time. But there was a couple of things that happened there that I couldn't explain that were very startling that were not in keeping with my worldview. Okay. And I can't, went back to Atlanta and that compulsion to go to church was still there. So I thought, you know what? This is probably from a former life, a former life as a Christian, because of course I believed in reincarnation very strongly. And I thought there's probably an issue that has to be resolved. So I probably need to go to a church to resolve it. <laughs> So I went to this large church and in downtown Atlanta, and um, I sat in the back on the end of the pew because I was planning to leave early. And I thought I'll be here, you know, I'll stay about 20 minutes because I figured by then I would figure out what was going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the joke was on me, you know, because the service began and everybody stood and um, I stood and they had a procession from the back of the church down the aisle. There was a young boy in, in the head of the procession carrying a cross. And, and, and I want to say that in my past experience in churches, I was not used to this kind of church. Okay. okay. This, this was not most of the churches I'd been to were either generic when we lived overseas, generic Protestant churches uh, that I really have hardly any memory of or Bap Baptist church that I attended as a teenager. Um, but I, I became a skeptic and, and, and rejected the Bible and rejected Christianity in high school. So anyway, so I was not used to this, but as he walked by me with the cross, I felt this um, love, I call it a waterfall of love falling on me from above. 
and it was um, very real. Uh, I knew it didn't have anything to do with the people there or with the music or with the building. It, it was nothing there. It was, I knew it was from God, from a personal God. And I knew he was uh, telling me he loved me. Um, and I, I can't really describe the impact this had on me because it was completely outside of my worldview and my understanding. And I didn't know how to process it. And I just kind of stood there and, and I had tears coming down my face uh, and I couldn't leave. I, so I ended up staying. Um, and I decided to go back the following Sunday just because I just, I didn't expect that to happen again, but I just decided to go back there because that's where it happened. Right. And so I ended up attending and that church on, excuse me, on Sunday. And I even went into a Sunday school. Um, this was an Episcopal church. Mm. And I took, I went into a class called what Episcopalians believe. Because <laughs> I thought, well, I, you know, this sounds like maybe I need to go to this class and find out what they believe. Um, I was just kind of curious at that point and not that curious. I was mildly curious. And I also wanted to share my spiritual insights mm -hmm. with them. I felt they could benefit from me. You know, this is my attitude as a new ager is that Christians, if they were really open-minded, could benefit from my spiritual insights. Yeah. You know, so I would raise my hand and say, well, you know, the Tibetan Buddhists believe blah, blah, blah. They believe when you die, you know, then you burn off this karma. And, and everybody would, you know, Episcopalians are very polite. They would all look at me and kind of smile and nod their head like, oh. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so I was very comfortable there, you know, because I'm like, you know, hey, I'm enlightening these people. Well, within a few short weeks, I started getting this impression that God did not like astrology. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew astrology and Christianity were not compatible, but this was like a very personal impression, you know, where I knew God was displeased with astrology. And this bothered me because I was an astrologer. Okay, right. So I'm, I'm like, this is not good for me. I am an astrologer. I'm helping people. Why would God not like astrology? Okay, it doesn't make sense to me. This, this continued and then it became this very strong impression I had. And I'm not, I'm not hearing a voice or seeing anything. This is just this impression, this internal impression, which now I believe was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, I had this impression that God wanted me to give it up. And even though I didn't hear a voice, it was like God was saying, Marsha, you have to give this up. You have to give astrology up, you know? Yeah. And I didn't like that, of course, either. Yeah. So I ignored it initially and fought against it, you know, because I, I kept trying to rationalize, no, there, I'm sure there's some way I can keep on doing astrology. You know, or make God's going to forget about it and move on. <laughs> you know, he'll give up. That that was my thinking. God will give yeah. up. Yeah. I just and but no, he of course he didn't. And it became so powerful. I actually made a decision to give astrology up. Now that first Sunday when I went into the church and I was only going to stay there twenty minutes. That was Labor Day weekend, so it was early September. I made the decision to give astrology up the night before Thanksgiving. So this is at the end of November. I make that decision. I don't know what's going to happen. 
because at that time I was of course an astrologer and I was working part-time in an office where one of my clients had hired me to secretly give him guidance on the employees by um, he would give me their birth dates and I would talk to him. And, you know, it was that kind of thing. He would ask me advice. Nobody else there knew that that, that's why I was there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm getting paid for this and I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm going to have to give that up too. And at that point, uh, my marriage had ended the year before I had a son. So I'm concerned about financial support, right? So I'm really concerned. So I give astrology up. Now, this is the way the timing worked. And I think the Lord had this, you know, clearly had it all timed out like this. My boss who had hired me was away on, on this leave of absence and was not coming back till January. So I didn't have to go tell him anything oh. because he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> and he had given me busy work to do. Okay. So I was just doing this kind of busy paperwork kind of stuff that I could do that wasn't very hard. So um, I didn't need to say anything to him, which was good because I don't know what I would have said because I didn't understand what was going on. And I wasn't a Christian yet. Mm-hmm. I was just in this sort of limbo. Um, so I decided to start reading the Bible. And I start with Matthew chapter one, verse one, and I read a little bit every night. And then on December 21st, four days before Christmas, I remember this very clearly. I'm reading Matthew chapter eight, and I'm reading an account in uh, Matthew eight, which is also in Mark and Luke. And it's about um, Jesus on the boat with the disciples and the storm. And they wake Jesus up because they're afraid they're going to drown. And Jesus rebukes the sea and the wind and the and the sea and the wind immediately obeyed Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read the story and I kept rereading it because something about it grabbed me. And as I was rereading it, God just opened my eyes and I saw who Jesus was. It was that was the moment I realized that I was separated from God, that um, I needed Christ. That was when I understood why he died on the cross. I knew the stories from Sunday school, you know, growing up in various churches um, about Jesus going and dying on the cross. You know, I knew that it didn't mean anything to me then, but I understood for the first time what it meant. And I realized I needed, I needed uh, Christ. And so I just turned my life over to Christ and I knew immediately I was a new person. I don't know that I thought this in my head, but I understood these things. Yeah. I didn't have the Christian terms. I didn't think. I don't even think I thought I'm saved. I don't, I don't think any of those terms were in my head. I just knew that I was taken out of this former life and that now I was okay with God. And it was Uh because of Jesus Christ, you know, that was kind of, that was what I understood. And so um, I realized I had been on this path my whole life that was wrong, that was leading away from God. Mm -hmm. I did realize that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's called being lost, you know, but that's not what, what, not what I was thinking. Um, and so my life, of course, changed dramatically. And then I was able to tell my boss in January what had happened. He kept me on and just gave me busy work for a while. I eventually had to leave that job. But uh, I found out while I was still at that office, a young man there who was a Christian man, and I knew he was Christian, uh, came into my office one day in April. Now this is April. And I told him, 
I said, I can't believe that I was an astrologer a few months ago and now I'm a Christian and I didn't even want to be a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) And he kind of smiled and he said, well, he said, maybe somebody was praying for you. And I said, oh, no, I said, no, I don't. I don't know anybody who would pray for me. And then it kind of hit me, you know, he's standing there and I said, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) I said, wait a minute. Did you pray for me? And he said, well, he said, my um, young adult fellowship group at my church was praying for you. He said, we've been praying for you since last year. I was like, so, oh, my goodness. I just was speechless when I heard that. Um, they had been faithfully praying for me at that church all during that year when all those things happened. So this is a real testimony for prayer, for, um, to pray for people that you don't think you can witness to, or you think are unreachable. Nobody's unreachable, of course, but there are people you meet that are just really closed or, you know, maybe family members. And you think, oh, I, you know, I, I can't even really talk to them about Christ. I yeah. can't, you know, give them, they don't want to hear it. You but just pray for them because God was working behind the scenes. He was, he was doing all this stuff. And, and this young man didn't know that was going on. Right. They were just praying. They didn't know what was happening on the surface. I did, probably didn't look like anything was changing at all. I looked the same, you know? But they, so they didn't know all this was going on. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's, that's what happened. So that I, one of the, my favorite things about just talking to believers is to hear what God's done. Yeah. What, yeah. How God saved them, because truly it is a miracle to go from death to life. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. You talk about miracles and you know, how God's working and showing his goodness and the very fact that someone can be spiritually dead and brought to life. That is the greatest miracle. Yes. It is such, honestly, it's such a blessing to hear that story and, and to see what he he's, he's done stuff. God has done stuff like that in my life too, where I was in a really dark place and at a specific moment, a specific time, I got an email. I remember from one saying, I was praying for you last night at this time. God just brought you to my mind. And that was exactly when I was in some type of sin or whatever. And I was struggling with it. And he is so merciful to see mm-hmm. you. He seeks mm-hmm. you um, first before you even seek him. So thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so you, we talked about this at the very beginning, former new ager, and you just kind of spelled what that looked like a little bit in your life, but can you define what the new age is? Yes. Um, yes. And it is a hard thing to define. Now I define it as a network of beliefs. Okay. So it's not one belief. I define it as a network of beliefs that come from three major areas. Um, the uh, Gnostic, the Gnostics. Okay. The early Gnostics who uh, thought matter was evil and, and everything had to be spiritual or spirit and thought we were really spirits from God initially and had got caught up in, you know, so it's not exactly the same in the new age, but it's a, it's a, you know, kind of spin off of that view because they do believe that you have a natural divine nature and you come from God and we'll go back to God and the material world is a lower kind of a lower manifestation of, of whatever mm-hmm. that you have different views on it. It can either be actually an illusion or it's this gross matter 
And by gross, I mean like dense. I don't mean gross, like yucky, yucky. (laughs) And it's kind of like it's dense matter. um, And you you have to raise your vibrations to be more spiritual. So there are different ways to do that, like meditation, diet. uh, There's just different, there's different ideas about that. That's very common. So anyway, that's kind of a Gnostic, Gnostic side to it. Then there's a huge influence from Eastern uh, religions, mainly Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. And all three of them um, have a, a big influence on the New Age. There are a lot of people in the New Age who get into those areas specifically, like I did. Like I was into um, Hindu ideas and Hindu meditation and then Tibetan Buddhism and then Zen Buddhism for many years. And so that, that was like one of my primary spiritualities, I guess you could say, that I mixed with New Age ideas. Okay. Um, so that's a big influence. And then the third area is new thought. Now, new thought is, is very different or looks very different because new thought is a movement that um, really took shape in the 1800s and the early 20th century. And it came out of other things like spiritualism, which was contact with the dead. And there's actually, there was a lot of spiritualism early on in new thought. So new thought is the idea that, and they, and it claims to be Christian. So this is the tricky part of it. Uh, So uh, the new thought movement claimed that Jesus, like they'll talk about Jesus. Jesus was a man who realized his innate divine nature. And when he came to that realization, he achieved the state of Christ consciousness. Oh. And everybody ha- can do that. Everybody can achieve that that state of mind, that crisis consciousness. That's a, a general new thought idea. Now, the New Age, like I say, this is one of the three sources of the New Age. So the New Age adopted a lot of new thought ideas. So you find them mingled together. Okay. Um, and other and other new thought ideas are that um, heaven and hell are just states of mind. They're not real places. Um, and Jesus came to teach that, uh, we need to change our perception of reality. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's more to it, of course, than that, but this is, you know, and because you have a divine nature, you can do anything. So the self-help movement really comes from new thought, the human potential self-help movement very much come from new thought and age ideas. So new thought is uh, Oprah, Oprah, for example, Oprah Winfrey is a follower of new thought. She was influenced by a new thought minister named um, Butterworth, Eric Butterworth, I think. So uh, this new thought thing is very tricky because it can appear Christian because it talks about Jesus and quotes the Bible. Um, And so I have some articles. I have an article on new thought on my website. I have two articles on the secret. The Secret is really, which was a very popular book and video um, when Oprah promoted it around 2000 and I think 2005, 2006. And it was, it just became huge hit. Uh-huh. Um, and Secret is basically rehash new thought. So uh-huh. those three areas, now there are other influences like theosophy was a, a um, I don't know what you want to call it. it wasn't a church or a religion or really a, it was kind of a <laughs> it was something that was started by a woman named Madame Blavatsky and um, this colonel and they started this uh, kind of teaching on 
is mostly based on Hindu spirituality, Hinduism, and it had to do with uh, supposed these uh, supposedly ascended masters that Madame Lavatsky came to get messages. She claimed to get messages from them, and Theosophy developed this whole kind of philosophy or teaching that includes Jesus, you know, but includes reincarnation, includes the idea that man, like there's these different levels and um, you exist, you have these different levels to you. Like you have the physical self, you have the astral self, there's the astral realm and there is the etheric realm and there's the mental realm. And then there's all these, it's very complicated. It's like really complicated. I actually was influenced a little bit by theosophy um, in my earlier new age days. I read a book by Annie Besant, who at one time was the head of the Theosophical Society. And I was very influenced by her book. Okay. Um, but Madame Blavatsky and Alice Bailey are probably the two of the biggest names of theosophy. And I did not, I did not read their stuff, but I was influenced by Annie Besant. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other teachers came out of theosophy. Uh, so um, it's, a, it's really a, a, it's an area kind of that you've discussed on, on its own because it's such a big area, but it did, it did uh, influence a lot of the early new age teachers. Uh-huh. Uh, so these are the main sources of, of the new age and you find people, there's a spectrum where you find people who are maybe into the Gnostic end of it. Right. And they're very into the Gnostic end, or you find people into the Eastern teachings, or you find people into maybe some of the theosophical stuff, and you find people in the new thought stuff. Mm. So the new thought stuff can look very different, let's say, from the people into the Gnostic or the Eastern. Mm-hmm. And so they almost look like they're not even related, but yet they're, they're all in the new age. Right. So and, it kind of seems like for someone who is like intrigued by these ideas, it's endless. Like you could get yeah. lost in this forever. Oh right? yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's no end to it. I, I used to describe it. I mean, after I became a Christian, I described it as going down a hallway and there's doors on each side of the hallway and with, and you don't, can't see the end of the hallway. And you go and you choose a door and you go in that door and that door is another hallway. And then there's, there's um, a hallway with other doors there. And so you go into a door there and that goes into some rooms. And then there's another hallway with another door and you can go back and go back down that original hallway and go into another door and go to another room and to another door, another hallway. <laughs> it's like, it is, that is what it's like. That is yeah. what it's like. And for some people like me, it was very exciting and appealing because it, there were so many options and uh-huh. so many possibilities, you yeah. know, that, that you could just go into all these directions, uh-huh. which I liked, you know, some people might not like it, but I liked it. And a lot of people in the new age like it. That's why they're in the new age. Now they usually will eventually pick one of the rooms down that hallway and kind of stay there, but then they might explore a little bit from there. Yeah. Um, like I pretty much stayed in like the Zen Buddhism and astrology hallways. Uh, But I drew a little bit from other areas, too. I should say that some of the basic core ideas of the New Age, I should say something about the New Age God and the New Age Jesus. Okay. Um, Since you asked me, what is the New Age? I should say what the views are. God is usually seen as impersonal or as an energy or a force. 
Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus is usually seen as a wise spiritual teacher who, you know, sometimes people equate him with like Buddha mm-hmm. um, or he was, they have the kind of new thought idea. He was a man who realized his divinity and achieved this state of, of advanced spiritual awareness, mm-hmm. uh, Christ consciousness. So, you know, Jesus is often referred to and talked about in the new age, not always, not all new ages are into Jesus, especially if they're into the Eastern religious side of it, Uh but it's still a big part of the new age, this new age, Jesus. And I had these different views about Jesus. I mean, it was a, they were new age views. Jesus was not real prominent in my beliefs as a new ager. He was kind of to the side. Um, I got interested in him. I, oddly enough, I got interested in him when I saw that movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, mm-hmm. which um, Christians actually were walked, were going to theaters and protesting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Atlanta, at the theater that was showing it, had Christians. Uh, I heard on the news, you know, some Christians, but that made me want to see it because they were protesting. Right. <laughs> Naturally. So, so I went and saw it, and it actually had an impact on me. I mean, I realized it's not really about the real Jesus. But it started making me think, this is probably about two years before I was saved. It started making me think about Jesus more. Like I just started thinking about him and wondering about him more. I don't think that, I'm not sure that that had anything to do with, I don't think it led to my salvation. I don't see that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it made me a little more open to -hmm. the idea of Jesus. I'm not sure, but it it did have sort of an impact on me, even though it was not about the biblical Jesus. Right. And I think that's really important for Christians to hear, especially those that haven't had their discernment sharpened because so easily you can hear the name of Jesus and, Oh, we're all believers. We all, and then you start adopting these practices. I mean, I remember as a young believer or actually before I was a believer, when I was just a kid in a Christian home, my parents talking about Mormonism. And I would see, you know, like the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was like, well, they're, you know, they love Jesus, all this stuff, (laughs) but it depends on what Jesus you're talking about, right? (laughs) Who that Jesus is. And, and for my, my heart is for believers to step back and discern and to think, you know, what does the Bible say? What is, when, what is this person saying? And I think it's so easy to to make it a final statement or make a judgment just based on words and not definitions. Exactly. It's so important. You're, that's such a good point. It's so important, Danae, that, that I'm saying your name, right? Is yeah, it, you are. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that, um, if you're talking to somebody, especially if you're not sure they're a Christian, you know, or you actually don't think they are and they're start talking about Jesus at some point you need to kind of say, well, who do you think Jesus is? Yeah. You know, or God, you know, well, but who do you think God is? Who, who is God? Because it's so easy to just want to assume that they mean, you know, God of the Bible or Jesus of the Bible. And, um, and of course, if they're not a Christian, that's not usually who they're talking about, you know, (laughs) especially if they're in the new age, that's not who they're talking about. So um, it's really important to constantly keep that distinction in mind. That's, mm-hmm. that's something when I'm talking to new agers, like on Facebook, I have a Facebook ministry page and I purposely have it so that, you know, new agers can come there and, and, and say things. And, you know, I try to dialogue with them and they'll often talk about Jesus. 
I mean, they'll, and they'll say things like, well, Jesus was all about love. That's what he came for. He came to tell, tell us about love. Yeah. You know, so then I'll bring up something about Jesus, but Jesus said here, um, I don't usually cite the scripture because it sounds like I'm showing off. I tell oh. Christians not to do that. Okay. Don't say, well, in Matthew, in Matthew 9, 14 or whatever Jesus said, okay. you know, I, I usually just say, well, you know, Jesus said, I don't even say in Matthew or whatever. I'll say Jesus said, I, but I, I came for sinners. Mm-hmm. So what, why do you think Jesus said that? What did he mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you can get a, actually get a dialogue if the person's willing to talk to you and they want to tell you what they think, which mm-hmm. is true for a lot of new agers. They want to tell you what they think, you know, and if you're, if you're going to be respectful and dialogue with them, then you can do things like that and mm-hmm. say, well, why, why do you think Jesus said that? Because mm-hmm. I actually had a conversation once with a Wiccan who told me Jesus came uh, to show us love. And I said, did you know that Jesus also said he came, he came for sinners? And she said, no, I didn't know he said that. I said, I can show you where I was actually at lunch with her. So we were, we were face to face. Yeah. And I said, I can show you where he said it. Um, and if you're with a person, you could do that. So yeah. it's good to know where, where he said it <laughs> or how to find it best. And I think it's in Matthew 9. I think it's either Matthew 9 or 12. I should probably check now. And I, and, um, you know, then it's something God might put that in their mind and use it. Right. See, when you're saying, when you're giving God's words to somebody, you know, yeah, maybe you're not seeing anything happen or seeing results. And maybe the person will say something like, well, okay, fine. You know, I don't, I don't care. I don't think that's what he meant or whatever, but God's got it in their head. That's their, that's his word and God can use it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, plant the seed. Yeah. That's yeah. It that's, doesn't go void. Yeah. That's my, that's my goal. Plant the seed. <laughs> so how did your ministry come to be like where it currently is? Oh my goodness. I, I was, um, I was invited to, to share my testimony. Um, I, I know that my pastor let me speak on a Sunday evening service about the new age one time. He let me, he gave me 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did some very brief, like three minute testimonies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then the youth pastor had me speak to the youth group. And then he inter- introduced me to some other youth pastors in the area at a meeting when youth pastors would have these meetings and he took me along and introduced me. So then several of them invited me. So I don't know how really the word got out at some uh, church in Connecticut somehow, you know how they heard about me. Oh, I know somebody in Canada heard about me and I don't know how this happened and asked if I would write my testimony for their newsletter. This was like in Canada, somewhere out in the wilderness of Canada. I don't know, it's like Western Canada or something. And so my testimony was in this publication and somehow this church in Connecticut saw it and they invited me to come speak. Now that was like 1994. I I was saved the very, very end of 1990. I was still a very new Christian. And I also spoke at a conference in 1995 in Atlanta. Um, Oh, by the way, I left Atlanta and moved to the Washington DC area. Um, when I had been a Christian for about nine months. Okay. Uh, and so I won't go into all the reasons why, but anyway, I, I ended up here. So um, I, um, 
I, you know, I've totally lost my train of thought. Oh, it was Canada. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, Canada, then Connecticut, then I spoke in Atlanta. That's you asked me how my ministry started. Yes. So I started, then I started getting invited to some conferences and speaking. Now I was working full time, a full time job um, at the time. And, you know, so I was doing these things on the side. And my uh, missions pastor, uh, actually, he, he was the former, he's not the missions pastor anymore. He's the former missions pastor at my church, said to me one day, you know, um, if, if you went full time, we could support you in this kind of work. Uh, you know, if you went full time. And I said, I said, what? I said, do you mean like become a missionary and, and, and live on support? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, I can't. Oh, I said, no, I could never do that. I was just, that was a mad media response was like, no, I can't ever do that. Sorry, Bob. I can't do that. And he kind of just kind of smiled at me and he just, he didn't say anything. He just kind of was like, okay, you know, but he had put that in my head and God started like convicting me that he, that's what he wanted me to do. And I, and other people were saying to me, Marsha, why don't you go full time? Okay. So this is what, you know, I was hearing from people and I thought, why do people keep asking me this? You know, I, <laughs> so so there was a year there where God just really started showing me my ministry became very active. Um, I just saw God, you know, really caring for the people, giving me a burden for people in the new age and the occult and really wanting to reach out to them because I didn't really know anybody else doing it and not saying nobody else was. I do know that I eventually learned of a man in Denver who was doing that along with reaching people in cults. But at the time, I didn't really know anybody doing it. And I felt very burdened for these people. Mm. And finally, um, I, I, was, I was doing so much on the side like this that, and my, my church said they were having an outreach day and they said, we want you to give a name. To, you need to come up with a name for your ministry. And I said, do I have a ministry? And they said, yes, you have a ministry. Come, come up with a name for it. That's when I came up with Christian Answers for the New Age. So I was still part-time. And that led to me then at the suggestion of my pastor talking to um, Fellowship International Mission, which is a mission agency. And um, they are a, a, a mission agency for missionaries. And I had an interview with them. They took me on. I started raising support eventually, you know, uh, yeah. it's a very bumpy road there as most people have been missionaries. I'm yeah. sure you know. <laughs> it's a bumpy road there for a while, but God's faithful. And, you know, I got, I got into full support, um, as you know, full time doing it full time yeah. in 1998. Okay. I've been doing this for 23 years full time. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't seem that long, but it is. <laughs> that's great so let's get into some details about the enneagram okay so what is the enneagram because some it was kind of funny i posted on my facebook that i was wanting to do an episode about the enneagram before i had contacted you and i had said does anyone have interest in hearing about this and i got a lot of responses yeah this would be really interesting blah 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 and then my grandma <laughs> my grandma commented I looked in the dictionary. I can find no Enneagram. What is this about? <laughs> so I thought, okay, not all of us really know, you know, what the Enneagram is. 
And so what is the Enneagram and why is there so much hype around it? Oh yeah, man, this is the big story of the day. Let me tell you, wow. I have been, I have been dealing with the Enneagram since 2011. So (laughs) this this is a, 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 uh, not a short story for me, but (laughs) in terms of my involvement, um, I knew about it in the uh, 1980s when I was in the new age. Okay. I wasn't interested in it, but I had, I knew, I, I knew, kind of knew about it. I didn't know that much about it. I kind of knew some things I heard. Well, the Enneagram, the problem with it is that there are a lot of falsehoods that are told about it that people think are true. This is the biggest problem. So as soon as I start talking about it, or as soon as I say the word people who know some things about it, or have heard some things or read some things about it, have these ideas in their head already, that it's ancient, that it's Christian, it has Christian origins, that it's a tool for Christians. So people who are into it somewhat, or have heard a lot about it in the church, automatically are thinking that and all of those things are false. So when I start talking about it, I have to, I have to immediately start unwrapping it from all of the uh, layers of falsehood that it's wrapped in. Okay. Enneagram basically just physically speaking is a geometric nine pointed figure. And I, it's hard to describe. There's like a triangle in it. And then there's, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've heard descriptions of it and I can never remember exactly how to describe it. But if you Google it, you can, you'll find it really fast. And so there's nine points on it. Um, And the Enneagram is basically whatever you want it to be because it's just a geometric figure, you know? So, I mean, I could, I could draw, uh, you know, in fact, there, there are um, hexagram six pointed figures. For example, the star of David is a hexagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also used in sorcery. So you, you can take a, a geometric figure and make it mean anything you want. The circle, for example, is a figure used in a lot of religions for a lot of diff- with a lot of different meanings. You know, it can be whatever, whatever people want it to mean. Yeah. So the Enneagram was this nine figure, but it was drawn very specific in a specific way by George Gurdjieff. And and the, f- the earliest we know of its existence is 1916, 105 years ago. George Gurdjieff was this esoteric teacher, a spiritual seeker. Um, He was um, Turkish Armenian. He wanted, he was on search for spiritual truths, basically. He was kind of like a new ager. And he supposedly traveled and met different teachers and different teachings. And then he gathered students. He, He had a following. And so he became a teacher. And he had this following where he was giving these teachings. Uh, he did not write any of this down. So what we know about his teachings, we know from his followers uh, and from his main student, um, P.D. Uspensky, who was Russian, because Uspensky then wrote four books about uh, Gurdjieff's teachings. So we have to rely on Uspensky that he's being accurate in what Gurdjieff taught. Um, but that's what, so that's how we know know some things about Gurdjieff is from Uspensky's books and Uspensky wrote about the Enneagram. Now, how did Gurdjieff use the Enneagram? He taught that it was a diagram of cosmic reality, that you could read the universe into this figure. Everything could fit in there. It would explain everything. Um, He talked about it explaining what some, 
what he called the law of three and the law of seven. And he put a musical scale on the Enneagram and he played with it mathematically. So he, he did all this kind of stuff with it. It eventually became a tool um, used for Gurdjieff's teachings, uh, which became, they became called the, the work. It's called the work. Um, and he taught that we're all asleep. We have to awaken to reality. We're asleep to the true reality. You know, when we come on onto earth and we are, you know, in our normal life, we don't really know who we are and we don't really know reality. Okay. This is a, this is a, uh, the view in the new age. It's the view in the occult. All these esoteric teachings have this view and that was his view. So he taught his own specific way for awakening to, you know, your full consciousness of reality. He mm. called it becoming the new man. He had very specific steps you went through. Um, there are still followers of this teaching, by the way, around the world. Mm. There are Gurji followers. There are groups. They're basically cults that follow Gurji's teachings. I've, a few of them have contacted me since I started exposing the Enneagram. Yeah, one woman, I actually posted a three-part, um, her testimony in three parts on Facebook. Oh, okay. Uh, of her story of being a, a, in one of these Gurji cults. Uh, so uh, then they're around the world. I don't think there's huge numbers of them, but they're, but they're there. So this was the teaching. This is what it was. It didn't, didn't, nobody was using it to find their personality or to find how to improve their marriage or anything. It's not, you couldn't use it for that. That's not, that's not how it was designed. So uh, Gurdjieff and Uspensky both died in the late 1940s. And so nobody knew about the Enneagram except the followers of Gurdjieff and Uspensky. Okay. And so nobody's really knowing what it is until, um, okay, the 1960s, this man named Oscar Chazo, who was from Bolivia, yeah. comes across the Enneagram and there are different stories of how he came across it. He takes it, he's an occult teacher, basically, and he's teaching these esoteric occult doctrines at a school in Arica, Chile. Um, he takes the Enneagram and he decides he's going to use it. So what he does is he makes the first, he takes the seven deadly sins and puts them on the first seven points. And then he adds two more sins. So oh. there's nine. Uh -huh. And he teaches this, not as sin the way the Bible sees it, but as what he calls ego fixation. Mm. So uh, he taught that we all have a pure essence in us, basically a divine essence, untouched by anything. And we come into this world like that. And then as we um, grow up, we start believing certain things. We start hearing things. People tell us things. We start building our own ideas based on all these things we're hearing. We get conditioned by our environment. And we attach ourselves to a certain view out of fear and out of conditioning and out of not knowing the truth. We attach ourselves to certain ego fixation. So one of those points represents this attachment mm. to your false identity. It's not who you really are, but you have to work through that false identity to get to the truth of who you are. Okay. So that was pretty much, that was how he taught it. And so that was called the ego fixations. And uh, now I know a lot of people are probably wondering, well, well, he used the seven deadly sins from the Bible. Maybe he was a Christian. No, he was not a Christian. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
let me emphasize here. People in the new age and the occult use the Bible all the time. They take from the Bible. This is not all of them do, but this is very common that you have teachers who will cite the Bible. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll even use some of Jesus's teachings. Maybe they'll even be correct about some of the things Jesus said. Okay. Because the biggest deception is the mixture of truth and lies. Yeah. So, you know, you hear things that are true and you think, well, this guy really knows something. He knows what he's talking about, you know, but there's lies mixed in with the truth. So Oscar Ichazo was using these seven deadly sins because he interpreted that as these ego things, ego fixations, false identities, or he decided that was a good way to illustrate it. And so that's what he's doing. It has nothing to do with his belief in the Bible as God's word or even believing in the God of the Bible. In fact, Oscar Chazo uh, claimed to have contact with two spirits. Oh, right. Um, the Green Kutub, which is somehow connected to Sufism, and um, Megatron, Meta, Metatron, I'm sorry, Metatron, who is an archangel in the Kabbalah. Now, apparently, it, it, it's been said that Ichazo did do some studies of the Kabbalah. And I think he probably did because he probably looked at a lot of different esoteric teachings. That may be where he got Metatron from. Um, Sometimes he claimed these spirits were states of mind, but it seems that they were, that he was probably doing spirit contact. And since he was an occult teacher, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I had spirit guides. Everybody in the new age has spirit guides. Everybody in the occult has spirit guides. There's no doubt in my mind. He had contact with spirits. Plus, he said that his school was guided by an interior master. So an interior master, what's that? Well, it's a spirit being. It's not a person of flesh and blood. This is a spirit. Uh, And so he was doing spirit contact. And along comes Claudio Naranjo, who's a Chilean psychiatrist. And he's, he's seeking out spiritual teachings. He's, his only son has died. This put him in a crisis. He comes across Ichazo somehow or hears about him. He meets with him. He decides to become his student. He learns the Enneagram from Oscar Ichazo. And then he goes to California to Esalen, which still exists. You can Google it. And it's very new age. You know, you can Google it. One of the first things you'll see is all their yoga classes. (laughs) But I mean, it is a very new age place um, in Big Sur, California. But it started off very, very edgy. There was all kinds of edgy people there teaching these very innovative, innovative psychological experimentation. Um, Spiritual teachers there like Claudio Naranjo and others, uh, people who were into the uh, human potential movement. Esalen is credited in uh, in large part as a breeding ground for the human potential movement that really got huge in the 60s and 70s. And a lot of the teachings um, came from Esalen. And a lot of the new age teachings came from Esalen and the human potential movement is is connected to the new age, in my opinion. So uh, this was kind of a breeding ground for a lot of that stuff. So uh, Naranjo's there teaching the Enneagram. And now what he told to his students at that time about, he doesn't call them ego fixations. He calls the nine points, the nine types. 
And what he said at that time about the types and how he got that information, I don't know. But he has said since then, in a 2010 video on YouTube and in another video on YouTube, um, he says that he got the information for the types from automatic writing. Automatic writing is a form of spirit contact where you allow um, the spirit to control your hand. Um, I know some Christians may not think that that's possible, but yes, it is possible. People do it, it can be done. Um, a former new ager, Doreen Virtue, who has her own program, um, she, she did automatic writing as a new ager um, and she can describe what it was like. I knew people, you know, I, it's not common, but I knew people who did it and um, there are some books written that way. So it is a thing. It is a real thing. And so I have no reason to doubt Naranjo. And he believed in spirit contact. He calls, he calls them on the video, he calls them higher, his higher authorities. Those are the spirits. So that's where this information comes from. It doesn't come from psychology. It doesn't come from research. It doesn't come from personality theory. It doesn't come from studies. It comes from spirits, mm -hmm. from spirits. Yeah. filtered through Claudio Naranjo's mind, um, which of course was not, which was darkened because he did not know Christ. Yeah. Um, he died, I think he died two years ago and Ichazo died a year ago. So when I was first writing about these two men, they were both still alive. Wow. Ichazo had retired to Hawaii. He was living the, he was living the, you know, the good life in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I looked him up online and um, Claudio Naranjo was still around, still, I think, even probably really? teaching. Yeah. Uh, so they they died in the course of me, you know, doing all the Enneagram stuff and writing the Enneagram book with my two co-authors. They wow. were still alive when we were first uh, writing the books. They were both. Yeah, I think maybe Claudio Naranjo died that year. But anyway, so. Um, Anyway, so this is what the Enneagram is. It is a result, mainly a result of an esoteric teacher named Gurdjieff and two men who did spirit contact. And wow. Gurdjieff probably did spirit contact too. Yeah. So you basically have a product uh, that's heavily, uh, heavily influenced by spirit contact. Right, right. Which is of course denounced and forbidden by God. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very dangerous to do spirit contact. I talk about it in my work. It's uh -huh. extremely dangerous. Um, and this is what the Enneagram is. So a lot of people are probably thinking, okay, well, then why is my pastor telling us to read the road back to you or whatever? Because yeah. it's happening. This is how the enemy got it into the church. It started off Richard War. And uh, a man named Andrus Ebert wrote a book way back, like 1989, The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Now, Richard Rohr is technically a Christian because he's a Franciscan friar. So he's, he's a part of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so he writes a book and says a Christian perspective. Nobody's going to question it. However, Richard Rohr has heretical views. And I can talk about him later and give a few examples, but he does not hold to most of the essentials of the Christian faith. Right. And so his book really can't give a Christian perspective. But he's a panentheist, right? He's a what? 
panentheist, right? He's a panentheist and a perennialist. Okay, yes. Both. And this is perennialism. Actually, I'm seeing it in the church. And it's, and it's through the Enneagram from Richard War. And so um, this book, okay, it sits out there in the 90s. And nobody in, nobody, I don't think, I don't know how many people paying attention to it, maybe some Catholics, because the Enneagram did go into a Jesuit seminary uh, from Claudia Naranjo via a Jesuit named Bob Oaks. And then it went into the New Age via Helen Palmer, who at the time was calling herself a psychic. So it went into those two areas and in the um, Catholic church, that's where Richard Rohr learned it. He learned it when it went into that seminary, although he's not a Jesuit. That's how he learned it. Um, The Catholic church never endorsed it. And it was uh, used mainly at retreats and things like that. I don't think it ever, I don't know how popular it became, but I think it's, it's kind of died out in the Catholic church. It's still popular in the new age. And it just, that's where it really flourished was the new age. Just flourished like crazy. And so Helen Palmer and all these other new agers jumped on board on the Enneagram and became Enneagram teachers and Enneagram counselors. Um, Very, very big in the new age. So here comes Richard Rohr, writes his book. And then in the 90s, um, I don't know, like I say, maybe a few Catholics were, were reading it or followers of Rohr. Roar somehow gets in contact with the progressives who at the time were called, that was called the emergent church. This is Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, and a whole bunch of other people. These people um, were, and how this happened, I don't know, but they got influenced by Richard Roar and had contact with him. Rob Bell um, said, uh, like in 2012 or something, said he had, been influenced by Richard Rohr for years. I believe when he wrote Velvet's Elvis, he already was being influenced by Richard Rohr because it's something he has in a footnote in there where he recommends a book by Ken Wilber, who's not a Christian. Ken Wilber and Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr has been influenced by Ken Wilber. And personally, my theory is Rob Bell knew about Ken Wilber from Richard Rohr. That's my theory. So, okay. So, uh, so you have um, this progressive movement and they eventually become the progressive they start having these um conferences like around 2008 i think and then 2009 and i noticed that they were introducing the enneagram at these conferences really yes and i thought well that's kind of strange why you know i think at that time i don't think i knew about or's book I, when I first noticed the progressive doing the Enneagram, I don't think I saw the war connection right away. I can't remember, but I don't think I did. So I was wondering why, why are they, why are they doing this? I didn't get it. You know, it, it to me, it didn't seem like something they would do. It didn't yeah. fit in with my understanding of the progressives. <laughs> yeah. It does now, but I didn't understand it then. And I thought, huh. So I noticed every year they were doing it and kind of making a big deal out of it. And I thought, you know, I think I need to write an article on this because you know, people might start hearing about it. So I wrote my first article in 2011 on the Enneagram. And I made it very clear about its origins. I wrote how um, I actually, and I knew, I knew enough about Richard Ward then to know he was heretical. Uh Uh, So in my article, which is still on my website, it's called the Enneagram GPS Gnostic Path to the Self. 
I talk about uh, a Christian in the evangelical church named Alice Freiling, who was learning the Enneagram or working on the Enneagram with Richard Rohr. And, and she mentions him favorably uh, in uh, some online, her online website at the time that I used to write about her and what she said. Uh, so I was very alarmed. And I thought, okay, this is alarming because it's the progressives are doing it, but I'm seeing the possibility here that it's going to go beyond that. And it did, although it didn't do it right away. It didn't really do it to 2016 when The Road Back to You became the first, what I would call evangelical book, you know, published by University Press. Right. Uh, written by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron. When I saw their names, I thought, well, who are they? I've never heard of them. Well, guess what? Suzanne Stabile was mentored by Richard Rohr for many, many years. Okay. Ian Cron, I, I, didn't, I couldn't find out a lot about him at the time, but since then I've, I've done tons on him. I've actually done several posts just on Ian Cron. Ian Cron is an Episcopal, minister and psychiatrist he's not a minister now but i think he was he was ordained as a minister he went to seminary um and he is an associate of richard war he admires richard war richard war's book on the enneagram is what has influenced him the most and he considers himself a progressive he actually has used that term for himself he's okay. not an evangelical and neither is Suzanne Stabile. They're progressive. And as far as I'm concerned, they're war disciples, especially. But, this, but their book was published by IVP. Yes. Right? This is what was so shocking. Now, at the time, since I didn't know about them, it, it, what was shocking to me, though, is that they published a book on the Enneagram and that it was called The Road Back to You. Right. That, that, the title shocked me more than anything. I, I couldn't understand that title. I, as a Christian, I couldn't. I just didn't get it. I was like, I don't want the road back to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was trying to leave. <laughs> That's what God took me away from. I want the road yeah. away from me. Yeah, right. This is going right. to be trouble to go back to me. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. So I was very confused by the title, you know, and then I was reading about it and I'm like, okay, they're saying, okay, here, you know about yourself through the Enneagram and all this stuff. And I'm like, what, what, what is, what kind of Christianity is this? So yeah. immediately I was skeptical and concerned and I did some post warning about it. Then as I learned more about Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron, I got more alarmed. I did more warning posts. I actually started warning on Facebook in 2014 about Banyagram because I was seeing it in the progressives and I was doing some posts, but I really stepped it up in 2016 and 2017, the second book came out this time from Zondervan, the sacred yeah. Enneagram by Chris Fritz. And guess what? Chris Horitz was mentored by Richard Roy. Oh my gosh. And on the website for the book, I mean, I think I found this in 2018. I'm not sure when. Chris Horitz, yeah, I think it was probably 2018. Chris Horitz thanks Richard Roar and three people for helping him understand the Enneagram. And all three people are new agers. All wow. three. Um, Helen, Palmer, Helen Palmer is one. Russ Hudson is another. Russ Hudson is the co-founder with John Riso of the Enneagram Institute, which let me just say this loud and clear. The Enneagram Institute is a new age organization. So any Christians listen to this, don't trust the information on that website. 
they have some facts there, but they have some things that are not true and they're hiding some things. Don't go there. They're not a scholarly source. Right. I, so many Christians started referring to the Enneagram Institute on Facebook. I just, I was just getting so frustrated. I just kept posting the Enneagram Institute is new age. It's new age. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. like get the word out, share this post. Yeah. I was so frustrated. I can't even tell you. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, Russ Hudson is such a new ager. I've posted quotes from him. He is like, if you want to know what new agers think and say, just look up Russ Hudson, just Google him. Mm-hmm. He's like an archetypal new ager. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's one of the teachers for Chris Horitz and Beth McCord, who claims with her husband, they teach the gospel centered Enneagram. Well, that's impossible. That's like me saying, well, I was an astrologer, um, but I'm not going to use astrology anymore for, uh, you know, new age reasons or purposes. I'm going to teach it as a gospel centered, you know, I'm going to teach gospel centered astrology. Now, where is Beth McCord? Where is she? It, no, like, is she a part of like a parachurch organization or? She started a business called Your Enneagram Coach. Oh, okay. Huge. She's made a million dollars on her business. Wow, okay. Yeah, she's wow. in a million dollar club. Wow. There's actually a club for, and then it's not, doesn't have anything to do with Enneagram or even with the church. It's just a club for people who've made a million dollars. It's like a oh, okay. kind of business organization uh-huh. or something. Yeah, she's in that. I did okay. a post on that. That was a little while ago. Um, and uh, so what you have here is confusion. Oh, yeah. Massive deception and confusion in the church because it's been presented as a Christian tool. And the people who write the books look Christian. I personally have to question Suzanne Stabile and Chris Horitz, especially since they're disciples of Richard Ward. Mm-hmm. I have to. And, and also what, what I have heard Chris Horitz say in several interviews and what he writes in the sacred Enneagram doesn't sound Christian at all. Don't take my word for it. Look up a, an article by a professor at Biola named Kenneth Birding. Um, I think his name is spelled B-U-R-D-I-N-G. I think okay. Kenneth Birding, he wrote a whole long thing on this, this book, the sacred Enneagram. And basically what he does, he says, what I'm going to do here is just put a lot of quotes because I want you to see this for yourself. And then he'll make comments and he puts quotes and comments. He'll say, there's nothing in here about sin. There's nothing in here about needing Christ. There's nothing in here about salvation. There's, he said, it's hard to find anything here. I'm paraphrasing yeah. you know, that, that really looks like Christianity. And, and, right. there isn't. and that's the way Chris Hurt sounded on the podcast. He doesn't sound like a Christian. He talks about the true self and getting back to the essence. And, um, you know, you're, you're, he doesn't say it's, it's just not Christian to me. It's, it's very warish, you know, it's very Richard warish and and Uh new agey sounding. Yeah. And I'm thinking why, why aren't Christians recognizing this? as not being Christian. And the only answer I can come up with is that number one, they aren't really familiar what the new age really is. So they don't recognize the new age. Uh They don't know the, they must not know the Bible well, because the first chapter of the road back to you has so many red flags in it that it seems to me, anybody who really knows God's word would at least be disturbed. They may not understand that 
Thanagram is a completely false system or something, but there's the red flags in chapter one, which I did a post on not long ago of the road back to you should cause people to ask questions. Like, right. I don't know, what, what, what is this really about? Because this doesn't sound like Christian thinking. Right. Yeah. Test everything. So, Christians yeah. test everything. Yeah. It just, and so I'm, I'm, and, and recently I, I did a post on the book um, from IVP. It was the fourth or fifth Enneagram book, Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram. That doesn't sound like a Christian book either. I, sure. I wrote that there's, there's, uh, there's theological errors on every page of that book. And it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's one of the most, oh my goodness. I don't even know the right word for it, Janae. <laughs> that book is one of the most deceptive books I have ever seen in my life. Mm. And I, when I say this, I don't mean that the people who wrote it are trying to deceive. Right. The people that wrote it are deceived. Right. Two of them are graduates of Gordon Gordon Conwell. Mm. And three of the authors are spiritual directors. This is where it comes into the contemplative spirituality, how it all mixes in. Because Richard Rohr pushes contemplation and he says it's unlearning. That's how we unlearn. Oh, okay. Why do Christians need to unlearn, Richard? Because you have been conditioned by Western Christianity and you, I'm speaking as Richard Rohr. Yeah, right. You have, been, you have, you have been conditioned by Western Christianity and, and, and you don't understand that when the, the Eastern church split from the Western church and they took all of some of the real mystical teachings with them and you haven't been exposed to that. And you, you think that um, salvation, you think that, that there was this transaction done on the cross and it's not transactional. It's not atonement for your sins. That's not what Jesus was doing on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so you have been conditioned into wrong thinking and you don't understand what um, Paul and John were really writing about. They were writing about the Christ, the universal Christ. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, let me tell you about the universal Christ. And so he wrote a book called the universal Christ, which I have an article on, which really lays out his theology. Uh, so there's a distinction between the historical Jesus and the universal Christ. Uh, and now remember, keep that in mind. And then remember that he mentored Suzanne Stabile and Chris Horitz. And that The Road Back to You is probably the most popular Enneagram book in the church. And just to clarify, Richard Rohr is the one that makes the distinction between the universal Christ. And yes, him. yes. He does that. He, he teaches it. Um, and I discuss it in my article. But he... He has this idea that the universal Christ, okay, he says that Christ, the first incarnation of Christ was creation. That's an important point to understand. The second incarnation was Jesus. Right. So he'll say Jesus was Christ. He'll say that. He won't deny that. So that sounds orthodox, right? Yeah. But. He thinks that after the resurrection, there's a distinction between Jesus and the universal Christ. Mm -hmm. So the universal Christ is what we are really supposed to focus on. The universal Christ is, is Lee is taking creation, everything in creation, everybody towards this point of perfection, this kind of evolution towards perfection. Right. Um, This partly comes from teachings of Tyre de Chardin, which, um, Richard Rohr talks about quite a bit. 
So the belief that Christ incarnated as creation is his panentheism, which is the view that God or Christ is in creation and not, not distinct from it. And so you have that view, which is not a biblical view. And that's, he's a big panentheist. I mean, he's very open about it. I'll, I'll give credit to Roar for being honest about his views. He doesn't, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't try to hide them. He's yeah. go to his blog, cac.org. Oh my goodness. You can just, you know, just Google, like Google atonement, cac.org. You know, they changed the website. You used to be able to do a search on it. I used to go there and like put the word atonement in the search box. It doesn't have a search box anymore. So at least that I can find. So I have to Google now like atonement, cac.org or something like that. Anyway, you can find his views. Panentheism, he'll have quite, quite a few things will come up on that. Mm. Um, the, and contemplative spirituality is very panentheistic. Mm. It's very much this idea of, um, you know, you're meeting God within, uh, you're, you have this kind of, um, it's not, looking at the Bible as the objective truth and, and studying and learning from God's word as, as God's word, as, as using, you know, uh, sound hermeneutics to get the meaning out of it, et cetera. It's this kind of mystical experience, like seeking experiences with God, right? What contemplative spirituality is really all about. So it's, you do these things to quote unquote, hear from God or to feel the presence of God, um, it's all experiential, which uh -huh. is very dangerous. Yeah. And I know that from being a new ager, because that's what the new age is. It's experiential. Yeah. It's based on the idea that your experiences are truth and you can find truth through your experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's what contemplative spirituality is. Mm -hmm. And that's what war pushes. And that's what all of these people in the church, a lot of the Enneagram teachers are spiritual directors, or they have a ministry that is basically what I would call contemplative. Their mm -hmm. ministry, even if they don't use that word, that's what their ministry is. They might call it soul care. That's mm -hmm. another word for it. They might call it spiritual formation. That's another uh -huh. word for it. Um, so, you know, one of them has a, has a ministry called soul shepherding. It's very contemplative. He teaches the Enneagram. And these people often will recommend Richard Ward. Okay. Just outright recommend him. Yeah. So what you have here is a heretic really being promoted in the church. And these people who are promoting Richard War are being recommended by pastors. Yeah. Um, you know, letting him example, be the shepherd there. He's basically shepherding the flock. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's and it's uh, it's just unbelievable to watch this. I, I it's really I feel like I'm like a witness to kind of, I, I've said this, it's like watching a slow, a train wreck in slow motion. Yeah. Because I can see what's happening right. as it happens. And I know where it's going, not completely, but I have an idea of where it might go. And um, for example, just within the past, I think two, maybe three weeks, a huge church in Arizona, the largest church in Arizona. And someone told me it was one of the largest churches in the United States. I don't know if that's true. Had Ian Cron as a guest. And I watched the 45 minute presentation. It is really, you know, if you really want to see the damage of the Enneagram, you can see it in that particular presentation because the pastor goes to three Bible verses to supposedly support what's being said. 
And in all three cases, he is not giving the correct meaning of the verse. Right. That's happening all over too. Yeah, it's I happening mean, all over. Yeah. This is not even just the Enneagram. I mean, no. I hear that constantly with other people I was in crew with, fellowship yeah. with. And I'm thinking you cited, you know, let's say Micah 6, 8, but let's kind of break that down. And what does justice mean? What does mercy mean? The definitions are really important. And it's like we gloss yeah. it over. And the, obviously the first commandment is no other God no other God. And the second right. is no idols. And it's like, we just right. passed that and went like, Oh yeah, yeah. God's my God. And, and you know, the rest is just details. So let's just move on. And how do we, yeah. And we're also told in Timothy, is it first or second Timothy to handle God's word carefully? Yeah. We are supposed to handle God's word carefully. So we have to, we have to look at it in context. You know, we look at it in context. We look you know, there are ways to do this where you can, and, and when you, when you do that and you see the meaning of it, it may, it, it enhances your understanding of God's word. Yeah. You know, when you take it out of context, you have this, this meaning that doesn't seem to fit in with the text and doesn't fit in with the biblical worldview. It's not always that obvious, but that's what it really is. And so I have seen with all of the Enneagram teachings and with all of the contemplative teachers, and I've done many, many posts on this, when they quote scripture, they always misuse it. Always. It's always misused. So there is a big red flag right there. They're not using scripture correctly. Yeah. And why not? Because scripture doesn't support these things. Right. That's why. The only way you can use scripture to support these things is to misuse it. Right. And so, um, so here you have in the church, a completely false tool. It has no validity. It comes with inherent new age and Richard war ideas. <laughs> and people are thinking this is a tool that will help them help their marriage, help them grow as a Christian. Pastors and churches have taken it and used it for leadership for their, for, well, we use it for our pastoral team. I've had so many people tell me, well, my former, in my former church, the pastors are using the Enneagram for the pastoral team. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people have told me this yeah. and it's being used for discipleship. It's being used for prayer. It's being used for devotions. Yeah. You know, and somebody said um, on Facebook, somebody said, and, and they're probably right. I'm waiting for the Enneagram study Bible to come out. And I said, oh my goodness, don't give anybody any idea. <laughs> That's going to be the next thing, the Enneagram study Bible, or maybe you'll have a study Bible for each type. So, you know, yeah, if you're type yeah. seven, you get the study Bible for type seven, who knows? Because they already have that for devotions now. Yeah. You can get the devotion for type seven or type three and guess who um, the editor of this and guess who publishes it? IVP. Oh, no. And guess who the editor is? Suzanne Stabile. Oh, no. Yeah. So there you go. It becomes so hard because like I had mentioned before we started recording, I, I basically came to faith in crew and campus crusade. And then now you have people high up in places like crew or IVP who are teaching the Enneagram yes, yes. age stuff. And it's so hard to figure out what to do because it's like, and this is, I'm really simplifying here. So excuse this um, oversimplification, but what do you do with the, when the bad guys and the good guys are hand in hand? Yeah, I know. Like you have someone that's completely orthodox and then they, you know, take this person who's heretical and they have you them teach you stuff. And it's like, 
okay, where is safe? Where am I safe in this? Where do I go? I know it's, it's really mind boggling. It is mind boggling to see this. Um, In fact, you mentioned crew. I um, happened upon a, a page of a crew leader. She was like a global mission, something or other in crew with her husband. And she had a website on the Enneagram. She had all the stuff on the Enneagram. And I noticed that on her one, her main page, there was a quote, uh, um, and it was from a man I hadn't heard of, David G. Benner. And the quote sounded off to me. It was, there was something about it, um, and I can't remember exactly now what it said. It was spiritual sounding, but it didn't sound Christian. Mm-hmm. And so it aroused my curiosity because I thought, why is she quoting this man? Mm-hmm. And is this man problematic? I wanted to know since mm-hmm. she was into the Enneagram mm-hmm. uh, because I had been finding that, that people promoting the Enneagram seemed to be, for whatever reason, open to bad teachings. So I started looking into this man, David G. Benner, and guess what? He's a master teacher at Richard Rohr's school. Oh my goodness. Yes, he is a master teacher. And if you go to Richard Rohr's blog, he has posted things from David Benner on his blog. Oh no. Apparently are very close. Oh. Uh, so that led me to, those explorations led me to finding out that three books by David, he's written several books. Three books by him were published by IVP mm. and they're used in Christian colleges and seminaries. Oh no. Because I posted something about him and all of a sudden people were writing in the comments, oh, we had to read him in Bible college. <gasps> oh, we read him in our seminary. We read the gift of being yourself in our seminary. And I was like, you did? I was like, no. really? The more I looked, and then I was helped out by a man named Brandon Medina, and I do want to mention Theology Think Tank, um, which is run by Brandon Medina and somebody else who have written some very, very detailed research articles on the Enneagram. So I do want to mention that. Okay. Um, And he had saved an interview online with David Benner that was no longer online, and he sent it to me. And it was very eye-opening because it showed David Benner as a perennialist. So here is where I can talk about Richard Rohr's perennialism, um, which is the view that all religions ha- uh, come from the same oh, right. core truth. Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. so everything, all religions, it doesn't matter how different they look, they have the same truth. They come from the same God, the same truth, the same what they call divine reality. Um, and perennialism is also panentheistic. They believe that however you call God and you can call God you don't have to call him God. You can call him the creator. You can call him the one. You can call him divine reality. You can call him presence. Mm. So presence is in creation. Now, David Benner actually says that. He writes that in one of his books. Presence is in creation and is everywhere. And our true self, uh, since it's part of creation, our true self, and since God is in creation, God is in us, and we were never separated from God. This is what Richard Moore teaches, wow. and okay. Benner teaches. I read now, so what this led to me, this whole David Benner thing was a was an ongoing um, eye-opening experience <laughs> where I was journeying through this, <laughs> this tunnel going towards perennialism and like heretical beliefs in books that are given to Christian students, I was just absolutely appalled and flabbergasted. 
So I read The Gift of Being Yourself. I'm like, I'm going to read that book. Yeah. I read it. I wrote an article on it. It's on my website, ChristianAnswersForNewAge.org. I can see the perennialism in it because I know what to look for. But I, I, what's happening, I think, is that Christian's reading that book when he says things that sound a little strange, like he talks about the Christ self mm-hmm. and the Christ, Christ in the self and thing, he uses words like that. Christians are going to think, oh, that means, you know, the new creature in Christ, mm-hmm. you know, second Corinthians five mm-hmm. seventeen. you're now, you know, new creation in Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about my redeemed nature. You know, that's not my, it's my, it's not my, my old fallen self. It's my new self. Mm-hmm. So I can see that people are going to interpret it that way and they miss, they miss what he's really saying. But I, knowing, you know, knowing more about it, about his views, I, I wrote my article showing where you can see it. And then I read a book he wrote that came out in 2019, but it's actually a reprint of a book he wrote much earlier, like mm-hmm. at least before 2007 called mm-hmm. Living Wisdom. Okay. It is just out and out perennialism. If you okay. want to know what perennialism looks like, get living wisdom. It is it is just out in your face perennialism. There is no way he can deny that that's his view. And I, I don't think he's ever denied it, but I don't think he really talks about it, especially since his books are being read on Christian campuses. Mm. He's not going to go out there and start talking about being a perennialist. He actually runs an online school in Canada called the School of Living Wisdom. Mm. And wisdom is a is a is a key word used by perennialists. Okay. And they'll talk about the Christian wisdom tradition. I follow, I follow the Christian wisdom tradition. Right. Okay. Um, or I follow the Hindu wisdom tradition. tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or I, or they may just say, follow the Christian tradition. Now, some of the contemplative teachers have used the, this language. Mm-hmm. And I think some of them are perennialists, especially the ones who have associations with war. So right. what we have here is we have these major heresies in the church. The, we have people being promoted in the church who hold to, uh, who either recommend war or hold to some of his heresies. For the sake of the Enneagram, basically. It's and like, for the oh. sake of the Enneagram kind of is tying it all together. Enneagram is the tool that is drawing people. Yeah. And and fascinating people. And it's becoming, because people, and especially in the United States, we're so pragmatic. It's kind of like, oh, what, you know, how can I use this? What can I use this for? Yeah. And, and that, so the Enneagram becomes that tool. Right. And it fits all of those those desires to have something that seems practical and pragmatic but what it's doing is it's replacing god's word and it's replacing Mm -hmm. the holy spirit yeah yeah because now you can learn you can be transformed by the enneagram right so what are we talked about some common arguments you get yes oh yeah very common okay but one one of the most common one is common ones um enneagram helped me yeah. Or it really helped me and my husband with our marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this is very, very common. Okay. So here's my response to that. My first response is, okay, I was an astrologer for many years. All of my clients told me that me interpreting their birth chart helped them tremendously. All of them told me that 
many people, just people out there who just know their zodiac sign will say that they fit their zodiac sign. And they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I'm such a Leo. That really fits me. That's why, you know, that's why I'm like this and why my friends don't like me when I do this. And that's why I have trouble with my husband who's a Pisces, you know, and everybody thinks this fits me, this fits me. Okay, now are Christians going to say that astrology is valid because all these people think they fit their zodiac sign and because all my clients and millions of astrology clients are going to say that they fit their birth chart. Right. Does that make astrology valid? No. What it makes it is a deception. And the Enneagram works the same way, the same psychological factors that cause you to think that the Enneagram type is you um, are the same factors that cause somebody to believe in astrology and that they fit their astrological zodiac sign or their chart or whatever. So there's certain factors at work. There's confirmation bias. There's um, something called the forer effect. Uh, there's self-deception where mm -hmm. we actually don't really see ourselves the way we really are. We, we see ourselves a certain way. <laughs> and, yeah, right. you know, we grab onto certain things that we think maybe are, are the way we see ourselves that we think are good. And we identify with that. And then we use that as a filter. So if you really think that you're an Enneagram three, then you filter everything through that and everything that happens through that. that right. That's why I act like that, you know, and you don't take in other factors when actually, if you look at how, what all the types describe in general, pretty much everybody has all those things. It's just like the Zodiac sign. If you look at all the, the um, like what Aries stands for, what Taurus stands for, as far as personality goes, you you, you have all of those things in there. Okay. You know, like Taurus is supposed to be like very stubborn. Well, I can be stubborn, you know, when I want to, I'm, uh -huh. I can be quite stubborn. We all can be stubborn. I mean, we all have these traits they are human traits. Yeah. Um, another thing is the goal of the Enneagram is not to understand your, your type or to uh, make your type, you know, be a healthier four or a healthier seven. That's not the goal. The goal is to see that the type is an artificial construct of who you are and that you are supposed to find the true self. Oh, okay. And so Richard Warren and like Chris Hurts will really talk about this. They talk about the true self, which is not the redeemed new creation in Christ. That's not what they mean. Mm -hmm. The true self is this essence that has never been separated from God. And that is the purpose of the Enneagram. And you can't change it just because you want to make it Christian. Right. You know, that doesn't make it Christian just because you want to make it Christian because you put the word gospel on it doesn't make it Christian. There's actually a website now called Gospel Enneagram. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And this person who runs it is a pastor and he's training other pastors and other people. Oh, it's, no. Yeah. It's spread. I'm telling you, this thing is proliferating like crazy. It's like, you know, it's like rabbits, you know, multiply. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and to, I, and to be clear, like the Enneagram isn't even a personality test. No, it isn't. No, that isn't. And actually and it has no scientific basis. No, it has no scientific basis at all. And even Suzanne Stabile and Ann Cron and Richard War will say it's not a personality test. Right. It's not the point of it, you know, but people aren't hearing that they're hearing the personality part and people are taking it and making it into something that it's really not. And so it's a completely false tool and people are falling for it because we love, we're so fascinated by ourselves 
Mm-hmm. We are fascinated. One of the most fascinating things for people is ourselves. Yeah. It's very fascinating so <laughs> to look at, to talk about yourself, to think about yourself, to wonder about, oh yeah, you know, I wonder what type I am, you know, and oh yeah, that's how I am when, you know, it's just, yeah, right. and it goes on forever. It goes on forever. It's self, it's just the self-fascination. So that's one of the major things. So I, I talk about astrology. I talk about these psychological factors at work that make you think that it's working. The yeah. other thing is that if you're, if you're doing the Enneagram and however you're doing that, you're talking about it and you're reading a book um, and maybe you're talking to other people, maybe your, your spouse, you're talking to your spouse about it. Um, you start talking about things like, you know, you'll talk about behaviors you have because that's what you're talking about. You're talking about this Enneagram thing. And in the course of con- conversing about that, you may deal with some issues. Because, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll bring up an issue like, yeah, you know, that's true. I do always, I try to avoid, um, I try to avoid confrontation. So, um, you know, I'm not, I don't want you to bring that up. So I'll just go into the other room, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and then it's like, oh yeah, you know, maybe that's not a good thing. So then you end up maybe talking about real problems and then you get helped by that. Uh-huh. Because you're actually having conversations about it and maybe you're resolving some issues. Yeah. So then you think it's because of the Enneagram. Right. But it's not. It's because you've, you've happened upon some behaviors that you've come across from reading about the Enneagram types. And yeah, maybe that fits you. But like I say, most of us have these kind of traits. You start talking about it and then you feel like you've done something. You've had a positive result. Breakthrough. It's the same thing with astrology. I mean, the same thing happened to me because, I mean, you can believe that I was an astrology teacher. You can believe that I thought about my chart every day and I knew where everything was in my chart. Yeah. I knew the sun was in the ninth house. I knew my rising sign was Sagittarius. I knew, you know, my moon was this. I knew my Venus was over here by this planet. And so when certain things would happen in certain areas of my life, I'd be like, oh, there, that's my, you know, there uh, goes that Venus, you know, and Libra, yeah. there goes, you know, that's Mercury and Libra. That's why I can't decide anything. And I complete, I was living my chart, you know, mm-hmm. it became a self-fulfilled prophecy, prophecy of, right. of who I was. Yeah. And you can believe me that I believe that chart 200%. Yeah. You could ask me at the time. And I was challenged a few times by people who were skeptics when I was an astrologer and I said, Oh, I said, if you only knew how accurate it was, you wouldn't be Mm. a skeptic. Mm. You know, that was my response. You just have no idea how accurate it is. Yeah. So, um, so that's, this is how the Enneagram works. So, and here's my, my other point with that criteria for a Christian should not be. It works for me. Utility. Yes. (laughs) It's not, we're not pragmatists. Right. Yeah. I use that word. Some pragmatism is okay for some things, but not for spiritual things. Yeah. So it works for me is not the criteria for truth. Right. Because a lot of things will seem to work that are false or that are connected to spiritualities that are anti-Christian. Yeah. Like living with your boyfriend and girlfriend. Well, it's really working out. Yes. (laughs) No, it can be, you can be having a wonderful relationship living with your boyfriend and you know, things may be going very well for you. So yeah, that doesn't mean that it's a good thing. Right, exactly. Um, so I used to have peaceful experiences doing Eastern meditation. That doesn't mean that was a good, and it's not a good thing. But right. Way. So, um, 
so anyway, so my other earring is not showing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of see it in the, in the scarf. It's so long. It's got a turn into the scarf. I, you know, I always wear these like shorter earrings. And then when I'm, I, I see the video, it's like, I can't, like, I can't see my earring. I said, okay, I'm just going to wear something that's really, really long. And obvious. <laughs> yes. It's very light. Stands out. Very light. So, so what's um, one other? Oh, okay. Another objection. Yeah. Um, is God can use anything or God can redeem anything or we can redeem it. Okay. So this is the other big objection that I, I get a lot. And I have an article on my website called, can God use or redeem anything? Mm-hmm. So um, um, if you want to read that, that's there. It's also in our book, Richard War and the Enneagram Secret, which is written by Don and Joy Vino, my co-authors and myself. So I want people to know about that. And while I'm thinking of it, uh, write this website down, enneagramsecret.com. And that's a resource page with uh, videos on it. Uh, Don and I did nine short videos on the Enneagram that are on there. Some podcasts are on there. Uh, The endorsements that we got are on there. We got endorsements from um, seminary professors, scholars, heads of ministries, all all kinds of people there. You can see it. And you can read the first chapter for free there. Mm. And uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there before I forgot. So here, can God redeem anything? Okay. So we have to think this through. Um, We look at God's word to answer that question, right? That's we don't just come up with what we think. We have to look at God's word. God doesn't show that he redeems everything and he doesn't redeem things. He redeems people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God redeems people. So he doesn't read like Don, Don Vino has said this, my co-author, God doesn't redeem prostitution, Mm -hmm. but he redeems prostitutes. Prostitutes, Right. Yeah. God doesn't redeem um, the Ouija board but he redeems, you know, spiritists, mm-hmm. people who, who try to contact or say they contact the dead, they can be saved and have been saved. God doesn't redeem astrology, but he redeems astrologers mm-hmm. like me, you know, God redeems people and he's going to redeem his and restore his creation, you know, the earth. And we know all of that because it's talked about and how the old earth, you know, um, is burned up and become the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. But those are not, that does not include things like the Enneagram <laughs> or, or the Ouija board or tarot cards. Is God going to redeem tarot cards? No, no, that there's nothing in the Bible that would indicate. In fact, God condemns the occult and the practices of the occult. Mm-hmm. And all of these, I consider the Enneagram. Initially, I said the Enneagram is not an occult tool. I said that initially because I knew people were using it for a personality. And so their goal wasn't to contact the dead or, you know, something, something occultic. But I do think it is an occult tool because of that it's connected to spirit contact. contact. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a product of it in large part. And it's a deceptive tool and it's attached to non-Christian spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do think it's not quite, and it's not a cult tool like the Ouija board. You don't go to the Enneagram and try to contact the dead with it, but it's a result. It's a result of spirit contact. Right. So in that sense, it's an occult tool. So the Enneagram, Ouija board, tarot cards, astrology, those are not redeemed by God. Those are condemned by God. Deuteronomy 18 10 and 11 are the main verses where God lists all the practices of the occult. Yep. And um, 
and my pillow is crooked. I'm going to fix it. <laughs> so, um, so, so that answers that question really. Yeah. And we don't, and, and another thing I point out is people say, well, God can redeem anything. So I'm going to use the Enneagram. God is the one who decides what's going to be redeemed. Not us. Not We're not deciding. Yeah. I like the Enneagram, so I'm going to redeem it. I'm a Christian. Yeah. I'll make it, I'll make it gospel centered. Yeah. You know, okay. This is what I'm sorry to pick on Beth McCord, but this is, I think that maybe what she does is even more deceptive because she makes it look quote unquote more Christian right. than maybe some of the other people like Chris Horitz or Suzanne Stabile. So you've got Ryan Cron. So you've got something that, and, and more, and churches are, you know, promoting her. Oh, you know, seminary, seminary, covenant reform, covenant mm -hmm. reform, theological seminary. Uh -huh. I have Beth McCord there. I found out one of the professors there is her brother. Oh, okay. So I didn't find out. Somebody told me. There's a case. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so let's, okay, we're not going to investigate the Enneagram or we don't really want to think that it's false because, you know, our professor so-and-so, this is a connection. Sister. Yeah, connection. So, you know, that can happen that way. Um, I think it's good to expose it. These things need to be brought out to the light. Christians Absolutely. need to know this because the, the Enneagram is such a major deception. There's over 30 books published on the Enneagram in the church. And there's only one book, our book with the facts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, I feel like we, the more you can't say enough to expose it. You just can't say enough at this yeah. point. Yeah. So what is your encouragement then to believers who are kind of hesitant to speak out or even those who maybe are just skeptical and like, well, I don't know if it's a big enough deal. Do I need to really say something? Right. Yeah. And I do want to say before I say something about that, okay. if you're, if you're into the Enneagram and you're listening to this and I want you to know that I, I am not, and we're not like attacking you. We're not trying to make you feel guilty. Um, you may have been introduced to it by a, a good Christian friend, by a pastor, by, you know, I don't know, your mother, I don't know, somebody, you know, your daughter. Um, a lot of young adults introduced to their parents. That's how Andy Stanley got into it, was through his daughter. Oh, okay. Um, and he's friends with Ian Cron, Andy oh. Stanley. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, somebody probably introduced you to this, maybe even your women's ministry at your church. Yeah. Um, and you are thinking they're not going to introduce me to anything that's, that's bad you know, of course, that's you, that's what you think. So I understand that. So now you have the facts. So now you're accountable for knowing what it really is. So now it's between you and God. You know, now that's now you have the facts, you're accountable. So yeah, that's I'm glad true. you have the facts. So go from there with it, you know, um, pray for guidance and go from there. So that's for people who are into it, people who are like, I know a lot of people, they don't want to speak out because they know they're going to get sometimes a lot of pushback. But here's the thing. God doesn't tell us that it's okay to not speak out because we're afraid of the reaction. <laughs> God, in fact, gives us examples of people who had to speak out despite the reaction. Um, I think, uh, wasn't it, it was it Jeremiah or Ezekiel was told that people are not going to believe you. Jeremiah, yeah. 
Yeah, they're not going to. God said they're not going to like what you say and they're not going to believe you. I mean, he told them right up front. I know Jeremiah was a prophet and he was, you know, he was kind of special and God gave him the ability to do this. But the examples we have in scripture, uh, when it comes to a serious issue, is that we need to shed light on the truth. Yeah. And as I've tried to show in what we've done in the program is I've tried to show how heretical um, the Enneagram is wrapped up in heretical ideas and um, Richard War and that this is actually doing damage in the church. This is yeah. doing spiritual damage. Right. And so um, something that that's major. I think it's the most, I think it's, a, it's a, clearly the biggest new age deception in the church. Yeah. So it, so just pray, I would say pray if you're hesitant, um, I don't, don't, don't do it just to do it, pray and ask for wisdom and guidance and just, you know, do it in small ways as you can, maybe with one person that, you know, who's into it and just Mm -hmm. say, do you know the the facts about the Enneagram? You know, Mm -hmm. I use the word facts because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Christians should want facts. So. I usually say, do you, do you want the facts? Do you really want to know the facts? Or I might say, did you know the Enneagram is not considered valid? Um, Did you know the Enneagram is in the church because of a man named Richard Ward? Do you know who Richard Ward is? So, you know, I did this the other day on my uh, Facebook page for somebody who was, who was more or less defending the Enneagram. And I, I mentioned Richard Ward. And how uh, Suzanne Stabile and Chris Hurwitz were mentored by him and every, cause she, she was supporting the road back to you. Okay. And the other book by Suzanne Stabile, she said, well, have you read those books? I've read them and that, you yeah. know, and they were good. They were good books. And I said, did you know, Suzanne Stabile was mentored by Richard War? I said, and I thought maybe she doesn't know who War is. And then she said, no, Richard War is a false teacher. Uh-huh. I said, okay. I said, Suzanne Stabile was mentored by him. (laughs) I said, she shares his views and the book you're defending is written by a a disciple of Richard Ward. I I just left it there because now she knows. And she, as far as I know, she hasn't said anything since then. So when people get the truth, then it's between them and the Lord and, and the Holy Spirit can, will convict them whether they listen to the Holy Spirit or not. That's not up to us. Right, right. And we are to care more for each other. It's not just a question of, did it work for me either, right? right? It's, are we caring for our brothers and sisters in the faith? Because it's so often our response is how it affected me. Yes. We're not looking at the body. That is such a good point. And I'm, I'm really glad you said that. I did not actually think about that. That was another point. Don't we care about the body of Christ and our brothers and sisters? who are being deceived? Do we care enough to speak out? And let's look at it this way. You may speak out and let's say, you know, 50 people read that thing that you wrote on Facebook or whatever. And maybe, you know, 45 of them don't care or don't believe it or don't pay attention, but maybe five of them do. Yeah. Maybe three of them do. Yeah. If you even get to a few people, it's worth it, right? Even if yeah. you just get to maybe one of the 50, isn't it worth it? Mm-hmm. So one person will be like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that, you know? And yeah. I've had a lot of people write me and say, until I heard you on this podcast, I didn't know that. I didn't know that all that about it. Yeah. You know, other people who come across the information have said, once I found out about it, 
you know, however they found out about it, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. Good. So yeah, let's, let's, we do need, we are supposed to obviously love. There's a, a lot in the Bible about loving um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's yes. how we show that we're Christians. Yeah. We care about. Them. So we warn out of love, not to condemn, not to make people feel bad. You know, I, I do think, I do think pastors need to feel uh, accountable for what they're doing because they have a they're held to a higher standard. Absolutely. And yeah. they are really, um, I'm a little, uh, you know, angry at them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but I, I don't give them as much, uh, excuse as I give okay. other people because they should know better. Yeah. You know, they right. should know better. So I do pick on them. I do pick on them. So, uh, but the reason is, is because I'm concerned about the people that, their influence. Right. That's yes. why, because I care. And so um, I do care about these pastors too. I want them to know the truth. And some of them have been given the facts and they continue doing it anyway. Yeah. I know specific instance, specific cases where I have had exchanges with a couple of pastors and they just, they just don't care. Don't care. Um, no. They have their rationalizations. And this one pastor I mentioned to you who has the gospel Enneagram, he even has an article or a paper written by somebody in his, his I think that works with him on, on Claudio Naranjo and the automatic writing. They even know that. They know? Oh, they know it. Goodness. And then they go on about how the Enneagram is helpful. Oh, now, to me, my... that's like, what's, there's like something, <laughs> like, what happened? Yes. <laughs> Where, I don't understand the brain process there. What's going I, know. I don't, I don't understand it. So you're going to come across that, but, yeah. um, you know, just, I just say, ask God for wisdom and speaking out and, mm -hmm. and yeah, we should care and we should care for the church. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. It's his bride. Um, the right. church is his bride. And there's a lot in the Bible about that. He wants to, he wants his bride presented to him spotless and pure. Of course, that doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. But we are supposed to strive for, you know, the, uh, the, we're supposed to strive for the standards God has given us with, of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit through the strength of God, not our own strength and our own flesh. But, you know, we have to, we have to care about truth. We just have to. I mean, we can't preach Jesus as the way, the truth and the life and not care about the truth. Right. Absolutely. We care about the truth in all areas. Yeah. Amen. So where can people find some of your, to, to buy your books? You have more than just, just, um, Richard Rohr and the Enneagram secret. I know you have spellbound. You have some other, other books on your website as well. Um, I have, those are the two books where I'm an author, um, spellbound, the paranormal seduction of today's kids, uh, which is about the occult. And, um, I have, contributed to a couple of books. I have a chapter on astrology in a book edited by Peter Jones called On Global Wizardry. It's a very interesting book. I mean, there's all kinds of topics in there. I think a lot of people, um, there's a chapter on the Kabbalah and there's, um, I can't even remember the other things, but they're all kind of new age pagan topics. Um, and so that's on global wizardry. That's on Amazon. I have a chapter on Wicca in a, it's a, three-part series of books called World Religions and Cults. And I'm in volume two. 
my chapter on Wiccas in volume two. I think it's something like, um, it has the word mystical in there, mystical beliefs. I should know the title. I don't know it. I'm sorry. I don't know it. You can contact me on Facebook and ask me. Oh, I know what you can do. On my website, ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org, if you go to the articles page and look down, go scroll down. I have a lot of articles there. I have articles, six articles on Enneagram there, but I have all kinds of topics. You can go down under other information. I have a a listing of my publications. Oh, great. Okay. So you can, you can see, you can see some of this stuff there. Right. Um, I, I have a lot of articles, but you know, those are hard to find. You've got to get the magazines. They're not always available. Some of them are online. Yeah. Um, and if you go to my schedule page, I have the schedule of my talks. And um, lately, of course, there hasn't been talks because of COVID. There hasn't been travel. But I, I have like this, you know, like a webcast yeah. or a podcast and the links, you can go to the links. Some of them might still be good. Oh, so great. there's information there. And then my Facebook ministry page, Christian Answers for the New Age, I post things there. A lot. The, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. I just posted a great. podcast that I recorded in January. Um, just went up today. It's with Ariel Obronsky, who has a uh, program called The Christian Touch. And... We, we went all over the map on there. We were on Richard Gore, <laughs> the New Age contemplative stuff, um, um, Eastern meditation. <laughs> we, I mean, it was, there's a lot of stuff we covered there. I was amazed at how much there was. Wow. So um, yeah, if, if you want things like that and you can contact me on the, on the ministry page, if you have questions, you can contact yes. me privately. And again, this is Marsha Montenegro and her website is Christian Answers for the New Age. And on Facebook, it's also Christian Answers for the yes, New Age. Same thing. C-A-N-A, Canna, right? Canna, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's my acronym. I tried, I came up with that because when I had to come up with a name for the ministry, I wanted it to be something in the Bible. And I really thought a lot about it. And I was going through the Bible and looking and thinking of how something that would fit in with what I did. And um, this is before I was full time. And, you know, Jesus's first miracle is at the wedding at Cana. Oh yeah, that's right. It is. Yeah, John, that's John. his first miracle. Three or yeah, I think it's yeah, a John. John three, I think it's John. I think it's John three. Yeah, yeah. It's, is it John two or John three? It's one or the other. I think it's John three. Yeah, it's the yeah. same cha- chapter with Nicodemus, I think. But yeah. 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 Oh, is it? Is that? Or is it right before Nicodemus? Anyway, it's right. Anyway, we know it's somewhere there, John. (laughs) And I, I know John four is where he meets the woman at the well. Right. Right. But so, um, I thought, yeah, that's you know, that's it. That's the the wedding feast, the first miracle. There's so much in that account. It's such a wonderful account. And so, um, I thought Cana. That goes with New Age. I was looking N A New Age. Christian answers for the new age. So it worked right, out. Right. That's perfect. <laughs> that worked out. It took me about three or four days to come up with it. <laughs> that is good. People won't forget it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for all your time. I mean, you spent a lot of time with us. And oh, I really yeah. Thank it. you for letting me talk so much. Um, yeah, I love it. So long. <laughs> you, would you mind praying for us? Oh, oh no. I would, lo- I would love to do that. Wouldn't mind at all. Um, Yes, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we were able to discuss these issues. Thank you for Danae and 
her heart for serving you and for getting uh, the truth out uh, to the church. And uh, I just pray your your blessings on this program and what was discussed. We pray, Lord, that you would use it for your purposes. We pray for all those listening, um, that those who maybe are troubled by what we heard would uh, look to you and look to your word uh, for dealing with however they're feeling about it. Those who were encouraged, we pray, Lord, that you would use that for what you may want them to do. Um, we just pray, Lord, whatever whatever this this um, purpose is that you may have with this program or purposes, we pray that we would also um, keep on doing the kind of thing that we did here where we want to share the truth with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and with those maybe who don't know Christ, we, we pray if anybody heard this today who does not know Jesus Christ, that they would understand he is the way, the truth, and the life, that all of us who are Christians at one time were not Christians. And we all came to see Jesus Christ as the light of the world, as the bread that we eat, that we never are hungry again, and the water we drink and we never thirst anymore. We pray, Lord, that that person would be led to your word or led to a Christian and would seek out the truth. We ask your blessing on, on this program and all those who listen and hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you were truly sharpened by that, and it's making you think and consider and pray and search the scriptures in everything that you do, but particularly in this instance, in the Enneagram and any New Age practices you might be adopting unknowingly. Please do not hesitate to reach out and ask me questions, give me your feedback, or even if you want to know how to get in touch with Marsha, I'd be happy to give you that information. God bless you guys. This is The Blind Spot.